Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hey, Colin, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah, it, it's funny because you and I go way back. I mean, you were probably in the first 100 interviews uh, that I ever did when the show was called Blogcast FM. So, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've known each other for almost five years, but uh, we've got a ton of new listeners. It's probably been two or three years since you've been here. Uh, so tell us a, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, and, and your journey that has led to what you're up to today. Sure. Well, the the quick version is that my background's in design and branding and ran a branding studio out in Los Angeles for a couple of years and then kind of found myself uh, in a position where I was doing pretty well professionally, but lifestyle-wise, not so much. So I kind of decided to cancel that out and start traveling and, and pursue this lifestyle that I'd really wanted to live for a very long time, but was always putting off for quote unquote, more important things. Mm -hmm. And that manifested by starting a blog and asking my readers where I should move and uh, then moving to a new country every four months based on the votes of my readers. And since then, I've kind of segued from doing branding work into publishing. Uh, these days, I write full time, I publish books, I uh, am the co founder of a publishing company a small kind of indie publishing company in Montana called Asymmetrical Press. And uh, yeah, still still hopping around, kind of just taking on new adventures when they come and then experimenting a whole lot with different means of publishing, different ways of doing business, uh, different ways of living my life, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's start at the very beginning of this, uh, which is, is getting to sort of this molding moment almost of realizing that you were actually quite successful professionally, but not fulfilled personally. And you know, I mean, I think that's almost the epidemic of the culture that we live in. Uh, and sometimes I think people don't even recognize that they're, yeah. they're almost kind of at, you know, sleepwalking. Exactly. And the thing is, epidemic's a great word for it. And it's almost like people are saying, man, I caught this flu and it's kind of miserable. But if, if everybody's catching the flu, then it's not such a big deal because that's the right thing to have, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's all bad. There was a lot of very cool things and fun and interesting and challenging things about that type of lifestyle. But the, the living for the money and then hoping the money will bring you meaning thing is starting to look flatter and flatter every day, I think. And a lot of people that I know... Uh, that were in the same situation that I was, where they were doing very well uh, professionally and making a lot of money, but not having much of a life. 
they're starting to look around and see all these other people living different ways and, and seeing the different opportunities that their their skills might allow them to pursue uh, and then starting to grab onto that and starting to say, well, maybe there is another option. Maybe this way I was kind of taught is the only way is not, in fact, the, the only way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk about this in a bit more detail because I think that it's it's one thing to sort of recognize it. And I was talking to a friend last night. I said, you know, I think that there are some people who actually live outside the matrix, and then there are those people who actually know it exists but choose to stay inside of it regardless. Uh, sort of the difference between knowing the path and walking the path, I guess, for for lack of something less cheesy. But uh, <laughs> I think there's there's a mindset shift required to make this kind of a leap that you're talking about. Uh, and I'm really curious what your thoughts are around that, how you make that shift uh, from a mindset perspective. Because, I mean, I can tell you the argument is going to be, okay, well, yeah, that's easy for Colin to say he doesn't have, you know, uh, baggage per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, – I've heard all kinds of arguments on that side. And, and to be perfectly honest, they're legitimate. Yeah. They're legitimate uh, arguments that I'm able to do what I do the way that I do it because I don't have kids because mm-hmm. I don't have roots put down in any given place. And, and I've, I've built my lifestyle intentionally in that way. I don't want baggage mm-hmm. uh, literally or figuratively. I don't want to own a lot of stuff that I have to drag around. I don't want to own property that then I have to maintain from a distance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and it is a legitimate argument too, that kind of going that direction where you are just pursuing money, if that's what really gets you going, if that's your thing, cool. I'm I'm not telling you that that's wrong, Mm -hmm. but I think for a lot of people it is. And to say that that's the default is probably a, the incorrect thing to be teaching people. And the only reason that we are is because it's kind of a, uh, a natural evolution of the industrial revolution model that here's the the company guy and here's the, the nuclear family. and, And this is the way that things are supposed to be. Therefore, if I'm really, really good, I do that like to the umpteenth. I do that even more so than my parents did and their parents did. And, that to me is is math that doesn't quite work out, and the the evolutionary thought of that I think is just looking around and now having things mm-hmm. to compare to. We have means of comparison other than the other people working in the industries that we work in now. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I, I think I remember a few years ago I met up with you uh, somewhere. It might have been in L.A. You were, you happened to be in town, and you said, you know, just because something is a tradition, that doesn't mean it's a good reason to continue doing it. Exactly. In fact, that. That to me is a great reason to question it. If yeah. if you ask why something is the way that it is, and the only answer you can come up with is this is the way it's always been done, mm-hmm. question it. That that is an aspect of your life that is rife for dis- for uh, some type of disruption. Because if if you can't explain it, why are you doing it? Why potentially it is the the correct way to do things, and there's just no better alternative. But potentially there's a much better way to be doing it, and that could change everything. It, it could dramatically increase the the value of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the value of your everyday life, you know, you, you talked earlier about living intentionally. Uh, and I, I actually want to spend a bit of time on this because it's something that I was asked to talk about at, at Misfit, uh, you know, where we were both at recently mm-hmm. uh, in Fargo. And it's interesting, right? Because, you, you, you know, you say that you can live the lifestyle that you do because you have certain, uh, you know, things that other people don't. You, you also don't have certain things that other people um, do. And so you've, you've got this sort of flexibility. But I think living intentionally is not limited to your circumstances. I think living intentionally is actually available to all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, a day-to-day choice. I mean, and I think that we can do that uh, 
even in the drudgery of everyday life, you know, I, I love what Patty Dye said, you know, somebody said, Hey, you know, I, I, this was an interview we aired recently, a rerun. And she said, you know, what if the drudgery, drudgery of everyday life was your masterpiece? And mm-hmm. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts around this whole idea of how do you live intentionally if your life isn't, you know, if I'm not calling right and, you know, it's <laughs> exciting, you know, living in different countries every four months, but I still want to live intentionally. How do I incorporate that into my life? Totally. Yeah. This is something I try to tell people all the time that you don't have to be doing something that sounds adventurous or exciting. Uh, it, I'll, I'll tell you the reality of travel is that it's actually incredibly uncomfortable most of the time, yeah. but you, you don't have to be <laughs> doing something that sounds incredibly exciting and sexy and like it's in a movie or something in order to be, to live a good life and in order to live a happy life. And what I do I would say 99% of the population, if they actually did it, they would hate it and they'd be bored with it. But there's certain uh, philosophies that you can take that you can apply to anything, whatever you happen to be pursuing. Um, you know, if you want to work in a cubicle, we, we kind of demonize the cubicle mm-hmm. in the entrepreneurial world. But yeah. if that's what makes you happy, do it. Just do it really, really well. And living intentionally is how you do that. It means that you question the things that you do. It means that when you make coffee, you say, is this the coffee I want? to be drinking? Is this the way I want to be making this coffee? Is this the best use of my money or the best use of my digestion? Like you take apart the the details of everyday life and make sure that they're optimized for whatever uh, ends you're trying to achieve. And that living intentionally then results with the best possible version of the outcome that you're looking for. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, we do demonize the cubicle, don't we? I mean, it's... <laughs> we really do. And it's, it's popular to do so because it's something that we all kind of rally against as soon as we discover that there's another way to live. And, and I, think, I think that's wrong. I think it's a great uh, initial step into mm-hmm. recognizing that there's other ways to do things. But I, I think it's perfectly legitimate for people to work in a cubicle. And, and I think it's perfectly legitimate for people to bag groceries. And I, I think all of these things are totally cool as long as you understand why you're doing it. And there's kind of an end goal somewhere down the line that you're working toward. And if that means you're going to be the best bagger of groceries for your entire life, awesome. Do it really well. We need people who do that well. We need people who do everything well. And there's no reason that we should have to mimic other people's lives and pretend to be into what they're into in order to live happily. You know, it's so true. And, and, uh, you know, the thing, I, I think that the, this whole sort of, you know, demonizing the cubicle has actually caused more misery than uh, than actual happiness, even though the idea of it, the intention behind it was to create happiness. But I think it's actually created a lot of dissatisfaction because people feel this obligation that, hey, I'm missing out on something or I'm not living my life because I'm not going and doing all this crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you hear it from, from young people who think, oh, God, I'm, I'm wasting my youth doing things the traditional way. And then you hear it from uh, older people a lot, too, who just think, oh, man, I wish I would have thought about this. And now I'm too old. And now I've got kids or yada, yada, yada. Uh, again, couldn't be further from the truth. Because uh, first of all, there's plenty of life to live no matter what age you happen to be. And there's mm-hmm. plenty you can get done. And we live in a time where technology is incredibly accessible. So any of these things or any connections that you want to make, it is possible. Uh, but also looking at it through that lens of all these other people are doing this interesting stuff and I'm not, and therefore I'm a failure or I'm behind or whatever. It totally, totally a false premise to operate from because we all come, come at this, come at intentionality from a different standpoint. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different uh, starting hands of cards uh, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better metaphor. And, and we play what we've got. And if that means coming 
uh, at this later than other people, that's cool. You play it. I coming from an entrepreneurial background, being 29, I am like the old dude at every entrepreneurial meetup I go to because it's it's supposedly a young kid's game, but that's okay. I have certain uh, advantages that they don't have. Uh, the dude who shows up who's in his 50s that mm-hmm. shows up to the same meeting, he's got advantages I don't have, yeah. and the same thing applies across the board. So so there really is no downside to anybody's starting hand. It's just a matter of being able to look at it and say, okay, I'm getting started later, or I'm getting started earlier, or I'm starting with less money, or I'm starting with uh, fewer connections and saying, that's okay. How do I get where I want to get? Yeah. Well, you know, I love this because there's so many false stories that that drive it. False stories, false comparison. And, and that leads to sort of what I call the mimicry epidemic, where people are trying to become other people. Right, right. And, and it's, it's kind of the natural way that we work, isn't it? Because we, we look at other people as brands and we look at that celebrity and say, oh, they're the edgy one or they're the, the geek turned good looking person or whatever it happens to be. There's this brand that's built up and that's just the way that we market people and ideas. And, and so that happens within the blogging world. That happens on TV. It happens in movies. It happens within the business world where we look at a particular person and say, I want to be the next Richard Branson. And that just doesn't make sense. There's already a Richard. Why would you try to be someone else and try to force yourself into a Richard Branson-shaped hole when you yourself are you? You know, you can make an absolutely excellent, amazing version of yourself instead and stop forcing yourself to to sand off those rough edges, those wonderful rough edges that you have that you should be sharpening. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the sharpening of rough edges. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. We'll, we'll get into that. Bit, but, um, I think we'll we'll talk about that quite a bit. Actually, let's let's move forward a little bit. But let's let's shift gears. You know, one other thing that you you mentioned is this idea of your life could possibly use some disruption, and I love that. And I want to talk about that in, in a bit more detail because it's. Uh, you know, you and I have had some personal conversations recently, and it's something that I'm going through is a significant amount of disruption uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I never have before. And, you know, I think back to what Lisa Fabregas said. She said, sometimes we contract in order to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really want to hear your thoughts on this whole idea of disruption and, and you know, intentionally disrupting your life. And, and then we'll start getting into some of the stories and crazy things that have happened to you and, and some of your experiments. <laughs> Yeah, well, the experiments are actually kind of my form of systematized self-disruption, if that makes sense. I like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've found really adds value to my life, and it consistently improves my life in some way. Even if I, I do an experiment and spend some time with it and find out that whatever I'm trying out is not for me, now I know. Mm-hmm. And now that's one less path that I have to go feel like I, I need to go down or uh, one more perspective from which to view the world. And, and that to me is a net gain every single time it's a net gain. And I've come to enjoy this actually, even though like travel, it's, it's very frequently uncomfortable or limiting in some way, mm-hmm. but that those limitations kind of force you to be creative and it forces you to, to learn or recognize something about yourself that you wouldn't other learn or recognize or wouldn't otherwise learn or recognize. And that to me is insanely valuable. And it's, it's kind of gotten to me where I am now, where I'm very, very, I tend to be at least very self-aware and aware enough to know that there's plenty I have left to learn about myself and about the world and about just about everything. Um, 
and that's a great place to be, I think, that recognition of ignorance, but the acknowledgement that you can get where you need to be at any given point. Yeah. So you've talked about systemized disruption, and I love that you you know, you know called it a net gain. But you know, in a lot of cases, it happens when it's not systematized and it's unexpected, <laughs> and, and we don't actually want it. Uh, you know, things are things are going great, and life throws you curveballs. And, and so this this you know comes to a question that I keep asking a lot of people. One of the common themes that seems to come up here uh, on the unmistakable creative is a lot of people who who are end up being guests have had some sort of traumatic experience that actually really ends up being the catalyst for change in their life. But there's I find two types of people: people who experience post traumatic stress and people who experience post traumatic growth. Uh, <laughs> I like that. And and I can't take credit for that. You know that's that comes from the happiness research, researcher Sean Acor. And as somebody who has continually disrupted your life on purpose, uh, one, how do you, how do you navigate the uncertainty of all of this and and how do you differentiate, you know, how do you make sure that you end up a person who experiences post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress? Mm, That's a great question. I, you know, a lot of my metaphors are travel metaphors, so forgive me, but, uh, the way that I tend to look at it is the way that I tend to look at, uh, places where I live. And people often ask me, so what if you end up someplace? What if your readers vote for you to go someplace that is just dull, that is just incredibly boring, and it's just like the worst little town in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing to do, and everybody's backwards? And what if you end up in a place like that? Uh, and my answer is, is always that if I am bored anywhere, it's my own damn fault. If, if I am bored, I am boring because there's something interesting to be found everywhere, whether it's in the place or whether it's that that place allows me to be alone and therefore I can do some internal exploration. But if at any given point I'm not excited and interested and motivated, it's my own fault. And it's me not taking advantage of whatever it is that environment has to offer. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with any disruption, with anything that happens to your life. If you're not gaining from it in some way, it's not because there's nothing there to gain. It's because you're not looking at it the right way. Hmm. Okay, so you mentioned not looking at it the right way. Let's talk about the shift in perspective. I mean, how do you make that? Because I think that when you're in it, it can be really hard to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when it's like, you know, Greg Hartle has, has a great way of saying it. He said, you know, when, when you're having a problem or a challenge, it's the worst thing in the world because it's happening to you. it's true it's true and part of it is about kind of regularly plucking yourself out of the moment Mm -hmm. it's good to be in the moment i I think it's vital to be in the moment because then then you actually get to see what a thing a place a person a conversation whatever looks like from ground level but it's important to be able to push that aside as well and to step back and say okay here's what's going on here's what's happened i found myself in this place that is incredibly boring or i found myself in a situation where i've lost my job or i found myself in a situation where a relationship has ended uh difficult things to deal with but if you're able to see it from the ground and experience that and and take that with you and really take a snapshot of what it feels like and what it looks like so that you'll know that for, for the future, uh, but then also step back and see the big picture, then you're able to get that, that real wealth of sensory information and a wealth of, um, of information to act on, really. Because it's one thing to experience a, a flood of emotions, and it's another thing to be able to, uh, to surf on, on that flood of emotions and to just dip your hand in when you want to. Yeah. And it's important when you're in a difficult situation, I think, um, to, to be able to use that perspective to your own gain and not be washed away by it, but to actually float above it and to be able to dip your hand in when you want to, but then, you know, kind of see 
see that there's land around you and to see that there's plenty of waves that you can hop on if you want to and and to really to to understand where you are in in all of it rather than just being on that one wave you know, it's, I, I love that you're using surf analogies naturally. I, I figured uh, you'd appreciate that. Yeah, it, it's well, it's interesting because you know you think about it when you said the bigger picture. You know, these events happen in our lives, and and then you look at it over the course of if you look at it as sort of still frame or you know frames in a movie, you're like, oh, okay, this is one section of the movie. Right, right. This too shall pass. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or as Greg says, you know, temp- your temporary circumstances don't have to become your permanent identity. Amen. And they never do, even if you want them to. That's yeah. something worth remembering, too. That is that is actually a first I've Nobody has ever said that before. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think I've heard anybody say that. You know? Yeah, it's it's worth remembering because things could change on a dime. And that, that's something that helps me appreciate the good moments, too, because mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing to get past the difficult moments. But it's also worth recognizing why it's so vital to to really to dive into the water, not just surf above it when you're having a good moment because mm-hmm. that, that'll pass and things will be bad again and things will be good again. And it's, it's this kind of constantly undulating wave of, of good and bad. And as long as you can, can deal with that and accept both for what they are, then you, know, then you don't feel bad. You don't, you don't worry that the good is going to end, but you also don't worry that you're in the bad when you're there. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Um, well, let's do this. You know, let, let's let's shift gears and let's actually start talking about your story. I mean, we've been having very much a philosophical discussion, which I, I think is is really cool, which is not surprising to me considering what I know about you. <laughs> that's um, the way that we operate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which I which I love. But let, let's start talking about your story. I mean, I think that the the real thing is, you know, when you first when you decide to do something as crazy as, hey, you know what, I'm gonna put up a list of countries where random people can send me. And I remember my ongoing joke was, I'm going to send you to Somalia one of these days. Uh, <laughs> when we first met, I was like, I'm going to send you somewhere that's incredibly challenging and, and see how you come out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, you know, you, you got to go to India, which even I wouldn't have done that. And I mean, <laughs> uh, but the thing that I think is, is interesting is that you have this capacity for doing something that is very, very, uh, it's risky and it's uncomfortable and it causes you to grow. And, you know, we talked a bit about disruption, but I think developing that capacity to have these kinds of experiences, the kinds that maybe are uncomfortable, uh, but we all know will cause you to grow. I mean, how do you do that? And, and what's, I mean, talk to us about the story and the challenges. And I mean, I, I want to know about the darker moments of this because, you know, you said that travel can be a real pain in the ass. And, and I know from some of your stories, but I'm, you know, we usually, we usually only talk about the sort of interesting and exciting parts of this. I want to mm-hmm. get into the parts that really have challenged you and, and moments when you have felt sort of like, I mean, talk to me about your personal dark nights of the soul in this whole process. <laughs> you know, it actually, it kind of starts at the beginning. Um, like back in LA where things were going so well, right, right as I was making those first initial digs into the internet and I was kind of scouring and saying, you know, maybe this is possible. There, there weren't as many people talking about this type of stuff back then, but there were still plenty. And I, I was starting to think, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could leave this lifestyle. Maybe I could do something a little more interesting and a little more risky. And maybe I don't have to be the best at this particular thing and get the high score by measuring my bank account numbers and such the, the way that I was measuring my worth, worth up until that point. Um, and the thing that shifted me from that was the same thing that allows me to kind of get through some of the tougher moments now is just recognizing that, you know, this is not a trial run, that I, I have a finite number of years in which to experience everything I'll ever experience. And therefore, if I'm not doing exactly what I need to be doing, what I want to be doing, something that will help me grow and something that will help me uh, live, then that's time I'll never get back. And therefore, to me, time wasted. Um, so, so looking at this opportunity that I had right before I left LA, um, I was running a business, things were going incredibly well. And I had an offer from one of my clients to come be his protege. And, and he was one of these big money market guys, billionaire doing incredibly well, liked the way that I did business and made a very tempting offer. Uh, but looking at where he was and looking at where his former protégés were and looking at the fact that they were doing so well by that one metric, by the money in the bank, but 
not very well by any other metric. And these, these metrics that I was starting to appreciate and starting to worry about like quality of life and, and having something to talk about and going out and learning and meeting people and seeing new things and seeing the world from different perspectives, uh, it, it made it pretty apparent what I needed to do. And it, so anytime that, that was some difficult nights there though, because he made the offer and I had to to go home and think about it. And I, I really had to weigh, should I take the opportunity where I stay in LA and become a big wig and earn all this money and, and reach that goal that has always been an incredibly important goal to me? Or do I kind of scrap it all and throw it out the window and go on this kind of wild goose chase of trying to find something else that I feel like is out there, but may or may not be out there. And, and, and the deciding factor was, well, you're going to die. So <laughs> between now and then, what, how do you want to be spending your time? Do you want to be in an office? Do you want to be really, really happy about the numbers in the bank and spending that money trying to get over the day that you had to spend earning it? Or do you want to go out and, and do something and take some risks and maybe be poor, maybe be poor again, because I had been poor before that. Mm-hmm. I guess the question for me then becomes, you know, what separates the type of person who will go on the wild goose chase from the one who chooses the guaranteed outcome? Because I think what we, we both can agree that we have chosen paths that don't come with a guarantee. Like we, mm-hmm. we have chosen something that is inherently uncertain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I'm discovering more and more is that is certainly not for everybody. No, no. And, and I think it's a spectrum, too. I think uh, we, we've talked about this where it, it's kind of a, a comfort level with security yeah. and, uh, and stability. And for me, I'm, I'm probably near the far end, uh, one of the far ends of one of these spectrums in terms of security and stability in that it, it doesn't actually make me happy. And yeah. that's something that I recognized in L.A. is that what I was working toward was stability and what I was working towards was a certain type of security. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't make me happy. It was something I felt like I was supposed to do. But when I measured it against this idea of this kind of adventure, this mm-hmm. kind of foolhardy, reckless throwing of myself into the world um, with, with no safety net <laughs> or no guarantee of a safety net, at least, uh, the latter option sounded much more appealing to me and made this this other option that I was weighing just seem very stark and gray in, in comparison. Uh, for other people, that's not the case, though. For other people, maybe they could have taken that first option and really enjoyed it and really made a good run of it and been incredibly happy. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think that's just as legitimate. I just I, I think it's important to know yourself well enough to understand where you lie on that spectrum and on other spectrums. You know, what other things do you need and how much of it do you need? And what does that mean for what you do with your time? Mm-hmm. Well, I think knowing where you fall in that spectrum is is one of those things that uh, it's easy to think that you fall on one side versus the other Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you've got you just get a constant barrage of inputs trying Mm -hmm. to convince you. Yeah, yeah, and on one side, it's kind of the the traditional tack where everybody's saying, "Listen, you, this is what you want. You want this family, and you want this house, and this white picket fence, and you want to earn a big paycheck because then you can do X, Y, and Z." And that's one argument. And then the arg- other argument is kind of coming from the online world, the entrepreneurial world, saying, "You don't need any of that. Scrap it all and give it away and live like live like a hermit and live in a cave or whatever. Like uh, travel the world like some kind of crazy person." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's kind of the other side. And neither is inherently correct or incorrect. It's just you you have to figure it out. Nobody can tell you where you lie on that spectrum other than yourself. And in a lot of cases, you won't even know until you've had the opportunity to taste both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So let's do this. Let's uh, let's shift gears and, and talk a, a bit about the travel itself and, and some of the places that you've been and, and kind of the insights and, and learning that you've gained and kind of, you know, I mean, you've obviously had challenges with some of this as well. Mm. Uh, and I'd really love to hear, you know, of all these countries you've been through, like kind of, you know, what is what have been some of the takeaways from it? You know, what, you know, what have you liked? What have you hated? Uh, you know, what what misperceptions do we have as, as somebody who's sort of the voyeurs of all of this? Yeah, something that was immediately apparent, and, and I'm glad it stayed consistent, um, but immediately apparent to me was that we're all pretty much the same. Uh, it's it, it's a very flat thing to say, I know, and there, there's a lot of depth there that's left out when you say it like that. But around the world, everybody that I've met, uh, people when I've been visiting their country, when they've come to visit me, when, when we've met up in, in neutral countries um, – we're all kind of the same in that we're looking for the same thing. We're all kind of searching for happiness. We're all looking for some combination of happiness and security. Uh, we're all on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> and we're, we're all kind of uh, on good terms with each other until we're told not to be. Mm-hmm. And generally, there's some kind of overarching force saying that, some type of cultural or governmental boundary put around us saying, they are different from you and we are better because of X, Y, and Z. And, and that's kind of a means of maintaining control. But in general, people left to their own devices, we're not trying to screw each other over. We're, we're not trying to hurt each other. We're not trying to do wrong by each other. Uh, and, and that has been such a wonderful thing to discover, especially with the rhetoric that's thrown around uh, in this country, but every other country to a certain degree that I've been to as well. Um, basically calling everyone else the other and saying that we are different and unique and special and protagonists in this story. And everybody else is at best an anti-hero, but probably an antagonist. And that is, is simply not the case. Everybody is acting according to their own philosophy, their own beliefs within the context of what the culture they've been brought up in. But nobody wakes up thinking, I am the villain. Nobody wakes up thinking, I'm going to really screw somebody over today, and thank God for that. What, what they're thinking is, uh, I hope somebody else doesn't try to screw me over. I hope those <laughs> people from, from the other country don't come over here and try to screw us over. Like, if, if there's any antagonism going on, it's because of some kind of misunderstanding, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's been a wonderful thing to find out. And, and most of the, the discoveries that I've made, uh, discoveries for me, because growing up in the Midwest of the U.S., you don't have a lot of exposure to this type of thing. Um, these discoveries have been mostly along those same lines where, where people are, in general, good. Uh, and, and what a wonderful thing to think about the world, to think of it as a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let, let's shift gears and let's start talking about the career that you've built out of all of this. I mean, you've you know you've clearly done something really interesting in that you've combined all the things that you you know you've learned, your experiences, your background, and you've turned it into a, a pretty interesting career as an entrepreneur. And I, I you know I'd love to talk about that in a bit more depth. I know you've talked about publishing, you've talked about a publishing company. So let's let's get into all of that. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, what I was doing in LA was branding. So I was doing kind of a combination of design work and uh, essentially building companies for other companies where they would come to me with an idea and say, listen, we want to do 
I don't know, a Reddit for fashion. And, and then I'd make the logo and I'd build the website and do whatever marketing materials were necessary, that type of thing, kind of a, a complete package, which I enjoyed because my interests are varied and my skill sets are kind of varied as well. And I really like learning new things and, uh, you know, hence the, the travel and, and reading a lot and trying to discover all this new information and meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started traveling, that became very difficult very quickly because of time zones and, and uh, internet, uh, the speed of the internet in particular in different countries and the cost of the internet. So trying to do branding work from uh, New Zealand, where just the internet was abysmally slow while I was there, uh, and it was something like 16 time zones ahead of most of my clients, uh, it, it just simply wasn't practical. Mm-hmm. So I started to take some of the experience that I had from blogging uh, for uh, I don't know, a year or two at that point, and trying to turn it into a business of some sort. And a whole lot of us at that that point, this was like five years ago, were trying to do that and trying to figure out the best way to do it. And, and a lot of people figured out ways that worked for them in different types of marketing or sponsors or advertisers or um, affiliate marketing or whatever it happens to be. None of those were really a good fit for me. So I, I kind of decided that blogging was going to be something that I did as a platform that, mm-hmm. that would bring people in and that would help flesh out my brand, uh, taking some of that knowledge of what I did for other people and doing it for myself. And then I would build on top of that. I would build products. I would build something. I would create some type of product or service that then I could make a living off of. And I, I wrote a couple books just to kind of share share what I knew to try to bring people into the blog. I, I gave the first couple ones away for free. And, and this was kind of a wild west of ebooks at the time. So the fact that I'd put this ebook into the world made it, uh, and, and the fact that it wasn't terrible. Looking back by, by my standards now, it was in fact terrible. But by the standards of ebooks at the time, and especially free ebooks, it was great. Um, so those first two each were downloaded a few hundred thousand times and brought in a lot of people to the blog. Mm-hmm. And, and that got me thinking, well, maybe I could earn a living by writing these ebooks. And and at the time, it was much more common to see ebooks going for, for very high costs, like 50 to 100 yeah. bucks a piece. And, and I thought, well, I, I don't need to charge that much. I could charge 20 bucks for this ebook and still make, make a living. So I published a book on networking and, and priced it at 20 bucks and ended up making a, a fairly significant amount of money all at once uh, and started pushing more into publishing. And, and I recognized that from the experience of those first several ebooks that this was something I could do from anywhere and then get on the internet just sometimes and not, not be tethered to the rest of the world the way that I had been when I had clients. Um, and, and so since then, it's been kind of just a myriad of experiences and experiments, figuring out what publishing is and what it's going to be and how I can use it and where I fit in that. Yeah, so so at this point, I've written probably like 25 or 30 books of varying lengths and subject matter, and uh, fiction has been kind of a, a recent dalliance for me, but something I enjoy immensely. Uh, I, I found that nonfiction I write a whole lot faster, uh, and, and they tend to sell a lot better, too, because of just the, the makeup of my audience, I think. Um, but you can only write so many nonfiction books, you know, based on what you know or things that you've done, narrative nonfiction stories that I have to tell. So I have to go live for a while before I can write those books. Uh, whereas fiction, as long as I have ideas, I can keep writing and I've got just innumerable ideas on that subject. So I've, I've been going like a crazy person writing these fiction books. Uh, and then it's been experimenting with business models within that as well, because I've always been kind of an entrepreneur and I love the, the creative challenge that business brings, uh, 
and anybody out there who's a creative person, like a painter or a writer or something, and thinks that business is not a creative endeavor, I, I call shenanigans on that. It, it is one of the most interesting creative endeavors you can possibly undertake, and, and I highly recommend you, you learn the fundamentals so you can start playing with it uh, in terms of supporting your craft, but also in terms of just having fun. And so the, the publishing world for me has been kind of that. It's, it's like learning a new medium, picking up a paintbrush for the first time, and then just playing and, and uh, experimenting. And uh, the publishing world in particular right now is just rife for upset. It, it's... Nobody knows what's up or down anymore, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. So I've been playing with, like, serialized fiction, uh, writing a series as uh, seasons, kind of like TV shows, like five books per season and releasing them once a week. Um, Playing with longer format, shorter format, essays. I've recently been taking kind of like as a promotional thing, but also as an experiment, uh, taking essentially very short summaries of essays that I've written or chapters in books that I've written and trying to reduce them to something that would fit on an image and then using that image and spreading it around social media as both a promotional tool but also uh, trying to figure out if I understand what I'm talking about enough to be able to be that reductionist about it. So lots of little challenges and opportunities and experiments and uh, it's just been a blast. Frankly, it's been a blast and being able to interact with the other people in the field um, and and then actually teaming up with Josh and Ryan from mm-hmm. The Minimalists and, and forming Asymmetrical Press was kind of a formalized version of all this experimentation. We're getting together with somebody else saying, let's let's make a real business out of this, not just a crazy person playing around, mm-hmm. and uh, and see what we can do with all this experimentation and, and see if we can formalize it and kind of offer up uh, templates for other people to use. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about this idea of you know what publishing is and what it's becoming, uh, because I think that's that's you know one of the one, that's sort of the million dollar question, right? Everybody is is sitting here wondering where is this all going to go? What does it mean for the individual? What does it mean for the masses? Like, what does it mean for big media? Uh, what does it mean for the independent creator? I mean, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on all of this. Yeah, I, frankly, I think that it's great. And I come from a standpoint where I'm able to make my living off of it right now. So, I mean, different people have different opinions on it. But for me, I think it's great that kind of the old guard is being upset to a point where they're having to change their ways. I think that it's great that new new people, uh, young guns like Josh and Ryan and I can come in and actually, you know, make some waves in a field and actually make a living from our work and that anybody else could conceivably do the exactly the same thing. Um, I think we're reaching a point where the the media is less important. The the vehicle mm-hmm. is less important. And it, myself and, and most of the people who I know who are working in this field, who are ca- uh, comfortable working outside of the traditional definition of a book being a you know some some a stack of paper bound. Uh, between two, <laughs> a cover and uh, stored in a bookstore. Anybody who's comfortable getting beyond that as a definition for a book is having fun because we're able to look at it and say, okay, I'm vehicle agnostic. I don't care how my message and my words reach the other, the, the recipient, the, the reader, the consumer at the other end. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What do I do with that information? What is the best way to get this piece of information to the intended recipient? And thinking of it in those terms makes every single publishing project uh, an, an experiment all to itself and, and something that's a little bit uncertain but really incredibly 
uh, fun because you don't know what to expect, but it could be something amazing and it could be something that shifts the way people think. And it it could be something that reaches audiences that don't read or that typically would never open a book. Uh, And that to me is incredibly exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the, I think really the cool thing is that the power dynamic, um, has shifted so much in mm-hmm. terms of, of, you know, suddenly the ability to create media has been democratized in a way right, that it right. never has before, which is really, I, I think amazing, but there's one side of this, I think that nobody really wants to ever talk about, uh, which, you know, Greg and I have kind of hit is the role that talent plays in all of it and the role that quality plays, you know, Mm. because I think that we, I mean, for, I think for every single thing that you see on the internet that has, you know, an audience, there's, there's play, you know, effectively what are digital graveyards or projects that have been abandoned or, or things that just really had no shot from the get go. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because there's this big uproar in the publishing industry that now now that anybody can publish, everything is shit. And I, I, I couldn't disagree more. I, I think it's a great opportunity for talent to shine because mm-hmm. there's finally something to compare it to. And this is something that I went through when I was a designer as well, uh, living in L.A. Everybody was worried because now there's all these new tools allowing people to edit their own photos and to create graphics really easily and build websites without trying. And they're thinking, oh, my God, the, the barbarians are at the gate. We're all going down. And I'm just thinking, no way, man, this is an opportunity. You, you finally now, if somebody comes to you and says, no, I don't want to pay that for this project, then you can point to one of these other people and say, okay, go pay them a hundred bucks instead. That's cool. If that's what you want, and this is the caliber of work that you want, excellent. Otherwise, this is my price. Mm-hmm. And it really helps you stand apart as somebody who's trying their best to do really high quality work rather than, you know, kind of the mass produced Walmart work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's a market for that too, though. I think there is a market for people who just just want to, to pay the least possible to get the, the bare minimum. And it's great that that bare, bare minimum has increased in quality over time. But now the people who really do shine and who really do care about the work that they're putting out have an opportunity to to rise with that tide as well and have an opportunity to really stand apart. And that proved to be the case uh, in the design field. You know, all these young guns uh, putting up their work on Fiverr or something and saying, yeah, I'll build you a logo for five bucks. Uh, that actually brought me more clients yeah. because suddenly these people were looking at all this shit that was being produced and they were able to see good, good work for good work. They had had that comparison. And I think it's the same within publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of books published every year now. And that's awesome. And, and that means that slowly but surely the minimum will increase in quality. Mm-hmm. But anybody who's above that average, above mediocre, will look even better by comparison. And as long as you can express that and as long as you can show people that and, and give people uh, a means of, of checking out your work ahead of time, for example, mm-hmm. then I think it's, it's a great opportunity for those who are really trying hard and, and who have the talent. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Uh, well, I think that that makes sort of a, a perfect way to wrap up our conversation and, and you know, kind of ask you my final question because I think it's a perfect segue. Uh, you know, our show is called The Unmistakable Creative, and, uh, you know, we live in, in such a noisy world, like, you know, like we've been talking about. So, you know, based on your experience, your, your sort of, uh, you know, journey through the Internet and through the web and, and, you know, through life, what is it that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ooh, that's a great question. I think uh, basically we all start out 
unique. We all start out as our own person. Like I mentioned before, it's, it's silly to try to replicate somebody else because you're in a much better position to be you. Um, and, and then the task becomes uh, refining that you and making, uh, turning yourself over time into the best you possible. Uh, and, and I'd mentioned before, like the, the sharpening of rough edges, I, I think that's vital. I think we all have a unique blueprint. It's kind of like the nature versus nurture debate, right? And the best science available says that most of what we do and most of who we are is a little bit of both. There's some genetic code in there that kind of sets tops and bottom rung or uh, ceilings and floors, essentially. And then what we do in life and what we're exposed to sets where we are uh, in that spectrum. And I think it's vital to to really look inward and figure out who you are, what you are, what value you have to offer, what you enjoy, what you want to be doing with your time, and and honing in on that and really, really focusing and figuring out what it is that you do better than other people and and what it is that you don't and and what it is that you could improve upon and what it is that maybe you should stand off and focus on on those other unique traits that you have. And the people that I know of in, in any field that I respect most and whose work I respect most are the ones who have done this, who have kind of carved out their own niche and who haven't necessarily looked at the, uh, the established way of doing things and said, oh, I'm not, I don't fit there. I'm not welcome. Therefore, I should just settle for mediocre. They've instead said, well, that's, that's an interesting um, standard, an interesting default that we have now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change that. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change what the default is, or I'm going to remain an outlier for my entire life, and I'm going to be the best outlier that I can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And and finding that, finding out who you are, and then really refining that it, it seems to be the best way to be unmistakable, because who could be a better you than you? Well, I love that. I think that's a, a poetic way to finish our conversation. Colin, uh, as I expected, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you uh, back here as a guest on what is now the Unmistakable Creative. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. And uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.